delighted Debbies and frightened Franks. Gaze glumly on your guilty galoshes, honk hatefully into your humility handkerchief, and surreptitiously slip into your scarf of suffering. Oh, because it's... I guess it's time to talk tall to me. It's time! It's time! Am I really going to be able to talk tall? Is this a reference to something? I can't wait to talk tall! I can't play with you if I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Welcome back, I'm Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A cheerful chat in the emotional limbic system of prog rock in which nostalgic Nick and overwhelmed Omen will perform emotional labor for every single tender track that restless rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. We will swell with the passion of passion play, show our admiration for Aqualung, become unsettled by uniform, and bliss out on Bungle in the Jungle. Our flute fondness will lead to Ian infatuation and eventually Anderson agony, but that's just the way the caring cookie crumbles. The theme, the theme is emotions. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have said that at the beginning. <laughs> Nick, did you ever see the movie Inside Out? Yes. Yes, I did. All about feelings. That it is. Wonderful cast. Great. Lovely. Beautiful Pixar movie. They rarely have a dud. Yeah. Speaking of feelings, Nick, what are you drinking? As I do not drink alcohol anymore, I'm not drinking my feelings, but I am enjoying a nice uh, a nice near beer. I have in front of me a Klaus Thaler grapefruit, non-alcoholic. The ultimate refreshment crafted and bottled in Germany. It is 50% Klausthaler non-alcoholic malt beverage and 50% grapefruit drink. Wow. From the pioneer of non-alcoholic malt beverages comes Klausthaler grapefruit. The smooth and balanced taste of Klausthaler original is combined with grapefruit drink made with all natural grapefruit juices for a refreshingly zesty beverage that is perfect for any occasion. It's like a sober shandy. It really is, and I'm a, I'm a sucker for grapefruit. So here, let's go. I haven't had one yet. Ooh, it's a beautiful color. Oh, that is delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is lovely. I'm also enjoying some sobriety this evening, and I have uh, in front of me one of my athletic brewing company beers. This is called Free Wave. It is a non-alcoholic hazy IPA. There aren't that many non-alcoholic beer companies, so we're going to get a lot of repetition. Mm. Oh, delicious. Which one's that again? Oh, Athletic Brewing Company, which, by the way, is one of the... It's on the Forbes Top 100 companies this year. Hey, that's exciting. Yeah, there's been a massive explosion in my pants. No, there's oh, been a wow. massive explosion of non-alcoholic drinks on the market. Even some of the regular beer companies have been producing alcohol-free beer. Yeah, I refuse to buy those. Why? Because <laughs> I don't want an Anheuser-Busch near beer. Ah, fair. I would much rather buy like a, a craft brew and support them. That makes sense. Yeah. So Nick, with our palates wetted, mm -hmm. what song are we discussing today in the form of talking tall about it? 
We're going to talk tall and therefore discuss the fourth song off of the album. This is Flying Colors. Wow, we're really flying through this album. We really are. Color me surprised. Let's fly this song right into our ears. Nick? Good golly, Omen. There we have Flying Colors. It, it That just happened. How long is that song, Nick? That is, oh, about four and a half minutes. Huh. It's, uh, yeah, it's 436. Wow. Yeah. That is not super unexpected. No. No, no, no. It's th- that one, it doesn't feel like it draws on too long, but you definitely feel that it's a, a longer song. Yeah. Nick, for, for you, is this one of the songs that you... That you bop out to, like if you're playing this in the car and this comes on, does this does this get your head a bopping like Miley Cyrus? It's a pretty big rocker. Yeah, I mean, there there it's it's quick. It's got a good beat to it. Falling on hard times is is also pretty quick, but but this one, I don't know. There's something there. There's a, a poppiness to this one that we haven't heard oh. yet on this album. I I love that you use that term. That's something that I wouldn't have. Abscribed, abscribed. That's not a word. No, nope, that's, some, that's something that I would have subscribed to. Ascribed. That's something I would have scribed on a rock next to this song as a label. <laughs> you just leave the song there on the beach. You got to label it so everybody knows. Yeah, pop, pop, pop song, eighties pop. Yeah, I. But I agree. I think that there is a there is a pop quality to this that that maybe is really a, a kind of a new sound. I mean, I think we've been flirting with it already on this album, but I think this is probably the best example of that poppy sound. So I think that's well said. Yeah, thank you. I, I did not think about it until you forced me to put it into words, but I, I'm pretty happy with that that definition. There's something, there's something, there's a, a little more magic in this one compared to the other ones. 24 karat magic, in fact. That's, Yeah. And and it is my it is my job or maybe my vocation to force you into articulating things because <laughs> you can't is that why it's it's I love an impossible task it's like yeah. the it's like the rock of Sisyphus yes that's exactly what I was thinking yeah the rock and roll of Sisyphus Ooh, that one what's up Hades <laughs> this is one of those songs that I have listened to probably forty or fifty times. Mm-hmm. And never really stopped to think about. Agreed. Likewise. It's just, for me, it's one of those songs that just bathes me in delightful 80s synth. And and I love the instrumentation of it. It gives me a special feeling. It gives me traction in a special way. Deep in, in the root chakra. Yeah. <laughs> I have to hold on to the roll bar when I listen to it. Yeah. Okay. But, but it's never... It's never it's never made – I've never really articulated my thoughts and feelings about this song, nor have I ever really necessarily put them under a microscope. But today, bust out your Bunsen burners, kids. I, I wonder I wonder if there is some level of – because it feels so poppy, it feels almost disposable, you know? Like on a subconscious level, you're like, oh, yeah, we got through that. Moving on to slow marching band, you know, that one you have to – to absorb or skip, you know, you, you one or the other. You can't just like casually listen to slow marching band after Flying Colors. So maybe because Flying Colors is so 
digestible. It's, it's easy enough to be like, okay, flying colors, done, boop, good. Yeah, that's you know? a really interesting point. The the kind of disposability of of pop music. But at the same time, I think that that is one of the superpowers of pop because it allows you to it allows you to kind of fly under the radar with deep meaning. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, and those who do take the time, even if it's 40 years after the album was was put out, the song was put out, those who do take the time are rewarded for that. And I mean Totally. We've been we've been doing this for this is our fourth year now. We've been doing this for 40 years. 40 years. This is our 40th year. Happy anniversary. It's <laughs> it's the there if if we've learned nothing else, it's that there's more value to tell than 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 the surface presents. Which I think we already knew. Yeah. So I don't know that we've learned anything. That's right. This has been a waste of time. <laughs> An utter, utter waste of four years. But it's a good point, you know, that, that pop music is so digestible. And I think the really amazing pop artists are the ones who are able to take that format, make it sugary, make it listenable, and infuse it with deep themes. I'm thinking of Madonna. I'm thinking of Bowie. I'm... Now thinking of Bowie and Madonna at the same time. Right brain, left brain. M- Bowie. Bodonna. <laughs> and I just, I just want to clarify, we're not in, in any way using pop in a pejorative sense. It is, it, I'm, I'm thinking of it more as a, a genre of music that has a certain kind of feel and connotation and over the years the way that pop has kind of evolved it, it to me anyway it has that sense of like not disposability per se but just you get the most of what you're going to get out of it right on top right off the surface you know there's an accessibility yeah but oh i i think that disposability is kind of a really interesting word to to use to describe pop because you know, bad pop is is disposable. I yeah. mean, is, as is bad rock, as is bad country, as is bad jazz. Sure. But there is a kind of lightness and ease with pop that I think it makes it an appropriate thing to uh, genre to to dis under the umbrella of which to discuss this song on because it is it is got that ease to it. Yeah. Right. So let's let's discuss this song. Musically, Omen. Musically, we have some really nostalgic-y piano at the very beginning. Gorgeous piano by PJV here. I'm getting... From that first couple of measures, it's like that could be the opening of an 80s ice skating movie. It could be. It's almost like. (laughs) Yes. It's almost, you know, it's almost like the opening of Edward Scissorhands. You know, it has that kind of like sad, mythical, long panning shot. Although Danny Elfman's soundtrack for Edward Scissorhands is stunning. It's, It's one of his best. I would put Batman above that and then I would put Beetlejuice above that in terms of 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 soundtracks. But. Very beautiful, very eerie, very unique sound, yeah. Yeah. Ian comes in a little bit. It's interesting. There's a little bit of a, he's not quite on the downbeat with that mm. first with that first vocal line shout. It's almost yeah. a little, 
early based on the piano. Interesting. Shout, if you will. Everything resolves once we get past the first verse, but it's kind of an interesting little disassociative rhythm there. Yeah, there's there's a unique, almost live kind of we're doing it live feeling there of of something not syncing up quite perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, it's also, it gives me the feeling that Ian, that the singer needs to get it out. And so right. couldn't wait. just has to jump in. Yeah. 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 He couldn't, he could not wait. There's some lovely chimes that get put in there. Way of mine. Lovely chimes. We get that, that kind of really soft, like beautiful, tinkly piano chimes vocal lasts for about the first minute. Yes. And then we get we get the first line of to keep from flying colors. The first time he mentions flying colors at the end of that first stanza, we get some uh, I think we were talking about it last week, some very robotic synthy backing vocals as well. To keep from flying colors. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is Speaking of the vocals and the harmonies, I think that this is one of the songs in which we have both Mr. Pegg and Mr. Batiste singing back up because there is that rich, high harmony sound that I think maybe is a, a, the, a good identifier for us for this album. It's kind of a, a, a sound that is a little bit native to this album. Those unique layers that... That puff pastry of of harmony. You are just butter killing in it with the metaphors today, Nick. <laughs> just the the butter in between each, in between Peter and then David and then Ian. It's perfect. It's been exposed to the high heat yep. of the eighties oven, and it's oh, it's delicious. Not great for you, but it's really no, good. It's worth it's, it. It's sort of a it's sort of a quinaman of music. It's, it's worth the calories. It's worth the calories. Right after that first verse, we have the whole band come in. Oh, yeah. We move on from the nostalgic to the... Contemporary? Yeah, to the immediate. Mm, yeah, right. The contemporary, it's like it's like where you're you're thinking of something a long time ago, and now, and now you're in it. Now you've got your boots on, and you're... Okay, sure. You're jamming. Yeah, we had, we had a little bit of a flashback, but now, now we, we pull back into the present... And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it comes in full force. Everybody is is right out of the gate. Martin shredding uh, the keyboard is really, really solid, really good. This is a, a solid backbone of keyboard in this song as well. Speaking of pop, we've got a lot of four on the floor drum work here. Yes. Yep. Yep. Very, very solid backbone of, of drum. Nothing, nothing super remarkable that caught my attention, but it, I mean, it's there and it's, it's reliable for sure. David Pegg is doing an amazing job of switching between a, a baseline, which is kind of repetition of one singular note on 16th notes. Okay. Dun, 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 Oh, Yeah. And then switching into the like, almost following a, a counterpoint or a melody line. Oh, don't lay your base while the 
he does some waves, yeah. At certain points, he kind of he kind of crests and goes down, but he's he's following that scale up and down. It's really cool. As you mentioned, Martin has some really classic Martin rifts. Yep. Speaking of nostalgia, I I had a realization the other day. I think that this Martin sound, the reason I'm so connected to it, is because the later albums were ones that I feel like I have in some ways a more intimate relationship with. Sure. Because I started listening to them after that kind of classic period, you know, like in terms of our personal history with Tull, there was the, there were the the teenage years where we were listening to a lot of the classic albums together and staying up all night talking about them. Yeah. And then there was a period of time where I was, you know, maybe on a, a little bit of a, of a more private Tull journey. Yeah. Yeah. In college, we, we definitely stopped talking about Tull so much. Yeah. Well, we didn't have time. Uh, right. Yeah. We had other interests. When you said the later albums, is this, is is this that cusp? Is it between? I, I a think and... it's the cusp. Yeah, it's okay. getting into the albums like that. I have a really personal relationship with, like Catfish or yeah, Crest of a Nave. Yeah, so eighties basically, eighties tall and, uh, and 80s, on. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I think the last one that we really talked about was Heavy Horses. That was we never got into Stormwatch in high school. Correct. Yeah, the the verses are are really spectacular. We have some, you know. In kind of the best traditions of pop, we have some quite simple rhythms that get tweaked here and mm. there. Yeah. We have the fabulous breakdown a little later on where we have some wonderful synthy piano, which, all, oh my gosh, it is such an 80s sound. Like when at, when we have that first little riff, dun 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 I just see like workout video <laughs> just for a second. <laughs> Leg warmers, uh, headband. Yeah. And it has that feeling right at the very beginning. Yeah. Of this. We hear. Do you think that. I know it, it adds a very nice flavor to the song overall, but do you think we need that really slow piano part for the first minute of the song i think that we do when we get into the the theme and the writing of this song you know i think that if this were purely a pop piece without the content okay i mean sure could you play this song without the intro yeah why not jump us straight in i think what the intro does is it it sets the scene we talk we've talked a lot about contrast in these when talking about tall because I think that one of the things that brings them into the prog sphere is, you know, where you could just do X, but instead you decide to do X parentheses 2, Y, and parentheses minus 1. PEMDAS, parentheses, PEMDAS. <laughs> exponents, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. Got it. Okay. Uh, one white duck equals nothing at all. Yeah, there we go. There it is, yeah. And I think that for me, the that intro is a little bit of that higher maths Sure, sure. It it certainly adds to it. I'm not saying that it is it is substanceless. Yeah. But I agree that it could be removed without necessarily you wouldn't necessarily miss it. Right. If you removed it. Like the appendix. Right. You know, I mean there there it may be a it may be a phantom intro. You're like you know you're missing something, but you don't right. know what it is. But th- again that being said like 
even though this song is four and a half minutes long, it's not torturous. It doesn't feel overly long. No, it doesn't at all. So let's keep it in. Let's tell Ian to keep it in. Okay. All right. <laughs> Great. At the very end of the of the breakdown, I have to point this out. There is a a synth line that's kind of wrapping up that breakdown that reminds me so strongly of the intro music to Bowser's Castle on Mario Kart. <laughs> oh my god, I need to I I really need to find that now. It's at the end of the breakdown. Yes. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you not know the at sound all. that I'm talking about. Oh no, no, it's not. You're you're talking about from Mario Kart Eight. There's some Mario Kart thing that it, that it sounds exactly like. I will play every Mario Kart, and while listening to that song, and get back to me, and get back to you. Yeah, but very appropriate because I do think that, that whatever sound I'm thinking of is that very like 1980s Nintendo. Sure. Yeah. Kind of, kind of sound, and that's that's what we're whatever vibe was in the air here. That's what we're hearing. Definitely, yeah. It's it, it. They they were fully immersed in that vibe for this album. I would say they were perhaps creating that vibe. I mean, you Ooh. know, they were expressing a movement. That's true. It's early enough. They could have been substantial contributors, or even minor contributors. Yeah. Well, culture is a funny thing. It is. That it is. Yeah. In terms of the the sound of the eighties, we have we've kind of already talked about the the harmonies, the the line also predictable, also predictable is a good example of that. Right around there, we have some of those harmonies coming through. Mm, okay. Also, the very last once again, we're flying colors, flying colors. There's kind of a chromatic yeah. scale yep. being used in four part harmony, which is really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Once again. Other than that, Nick, what do you have to say about the music of this song? Not much more. And by not much, I mean nothing at all. Well, speaking of being part of the movement, let's move on over to the halftime of our podcast, Nick, where we take a little break from content and talk about things that are not relevant to the song at hand. We are halfway there. This week, we have no correspondences, correspondencies at all. I have a couple of things, two Martin Barr related, and then we will talk about the album itself real quick. Let's do it. The first one is some amazing content. Normally, you would only be getting on our Discord, but I'm going to share a little little, little sneak peek. If you want to get in on our Discord action, hop in the Patreon for $5 a month. You get access to the Discord and two additional podcasts. Yeah, you do. Our friend Mac Tull posted a YouTube video. It is Rock Seller TV, Martin Barr of Jethro Tull, and it's Martin just noodling on an acoustic guitar, explaining certain riffs and things, and just kind of talking history. And it's wow. it's like fourteen or fifteen minutes. It's I 
I can't look away. Like, I'm going to rewatch it after we record this. It's really good. So check out Rock Cellar TV, Martin Barr of Jethro Tull. Very, very good video. Also speaking of Martin, I was driving home from groceries with Rook in the car. Sure. I put on Broadsword and the Beast. We're listening to Beastie, and it gets to the guitar breakdown. And and Rook from the back is like, I don't remember this part being in the song. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Martin Barr. He's really rocking out. It's like, oh, I, I really love that guy. And I, and, and, I, and I said, oh, yeah, Uncle Omen really loves him, too. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess we both really appreciate Martin Barr. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so, so good to know that your son is growing up with good taste. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly, certainly is. And speaking of Broadsword and the Beast, let's talk about Broadsword and the Beast. Just a, a quick little anecdote here about the name of the album. I think you mentioned earlier, probably in the Beastie episode, yeah, where they were talking about the, the, the variations on the name of the album. So originally, it was going to be called Beastie, which would correspond with the first track on side one, obviously. But during production... The band deliberated over the preference between Beastie and Broadsword, the first track on side two. Right. In the end, right. they decided, much like Aqualung, to give each side its own title. I think that's so cool. And therefore, it each has kind of its own identity. And this time, they combined both of the names into the album title. It's just a little curious that it's not Beastie and the Broadsword. It's Broadsword and the Beast. The order has changed. Yeah. And uh, the artwork also puts a little bit more emphasis on the broadsword feel of it. And I mean, I don't know anyone who refers to the album as Beastie. It's uh, if you if you shorten the broadsword yeah, to Beastie, shorten it's broadsword. To broadsword. Yeah. Just to follow up on the on the Martin Barr discussion. This is a little quote from A Passion Play the Story of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull by Brian Raby. The author says, "Barr is not your average guitarist." Contrary to the stereotypical rock star, he is quiet, soft-spoken, polite, and claims to like Bach and the music of Elgar. Quite the opposite of what you'd expect. But what of the man who's lasted so many years with a group where the members have come and gone like clockwork, where Ian Anderson appears to be in complete control? In a conversation, Barr reacted surprisingly to the question of whether there was acquiescence between himself and Anderson. I've never really thought about it, he explained. I've never even considered the subject, really, but yeah, I'm sure there is. I'm sure that if we weren't going to get on and work together well, it wouldn't have lasted two months. I would have thought, this isn't for me, I'd better go. Or he would have thought, he's not the one, he'd better go. Or, I'd better go and work with somebody else. Obviously, that's apparent in all of us, that we were capable of working together. But I just accept that rather than trying to figure out all the whys and wherefores. I mean, that's that's almost what happened... During the kind of reshuffling before A, you know, I mean, Martin, Martin was splitting off saying Ian would do better to, to get some new blood in there. And then he got sucked back in for another, another 40 years. And, and maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's Martin's not thinking about that kind of thing that makes him so easy to work with. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He does seem so very chill. Yeah. Nick, anything else in this interstitial period? No, we are let's let's continue halfway there. Let's move on to the lyric section of Flying Colors. 
Nick McGill, welcome back to the regular part of the episode. And second side, we have flipped over the vinyl of this podcast, and we are now going to talk about the content and lyrics of the song, Flying Colors. Here we are, Omen. Before this deep dive, I mean, I think I know the answer because we kind of talked about it in the beginning, but did you know what this song was about? I don't know if I still know what this song is about. And no, I definitely (laughs) didn't have a sense before. That's the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of those cryptic ones. We, we could very well stumble upon it while talking it through, but we could come away with like, eh, this is our best guess. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the best guess. Here, here is, uh, speaking of colors, this song I think has a red herring included in it. The title, oh. Flying Colors, I think I have misunderstood all my life. Okay. The way that I'm familiar with this phrase is to pass something with flying colors. Right. That's a, that's a phrase. Maybe it's an American phrase, but it, it, it's, a, it's a phrase which means to do something really well, to, to exceed far beyond the, the minimum requirements. Which stems from the age of discovery when a ship would return to port it would have their flags, also referred to as their colors, raised yes. high in the air if they'd been successful. So they come home with mm-hmm. flying colors. Yes. And I think that what the actual meaning in this context for the song of flying colors is related to that to that origin. Flying colors means flying flags. And in the days of ships pre-radio, that was the main form of communication between ships at distance. Not only do you have your the colors of the nation under which you sail, you have all these other flags that are, you know, as specific as there's one flag per letter of the alphabet. And so you can put a whole message up wherever you fly them from in order to communicate to other ships. There's one flag that means I'm in quarantine. Oh, uh, sure. There's one flag that means we need a pilot to come out and guide us in. There's one that... That means, you know, whatever, we're under distress. So all of that is is a form of communication. Yeah. I think when we look at the lyrics, shout, if you will, but that just won't do. I, for one, would rather follow softer options. Shout, if you will, but that just won't do. I, for one, would rather follow softer options. I think what we have here and what we're kind of talking about is related to something that we talked about a couple episodes ago. I was just listening to the episode on Korowisk on my on my run this morning, and you were mentioning how in all of the interviews, every, anytime you've ever heard Ian speak, you get this kind of clipped, reserved quality from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you were saying, oh, you know, you, we never see him get super passionate about something. And I was saying, well, you know, I think it's in the performances that you see his passion come through. But I think that this song is directly related to your observation about him. Hmm. I think in this context, flying colors is what we might call wearing your heart on your sleeve, displaying for the world to see sure, right. what's actually going on, like flying the colors of your emotion. So it's it's like it's a little bit of the phrase with flying colors and it's a little bit of the phrase to show your true colors. Oh, love it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
That's where you were playing with the idea of emotion in our opener, right? Is that that's where exactly. you, that kind of stems from? Okay, yeah. I like that. I like that. That works. And I think that what we have here is a song about Ian's reservedness and and what happens when that reservedness breaks down. And and he does finally emote. Yeah. Begrudgingly. Yeah, and perhaps the consequences of that or the or the fear about that, the emotions about emotion. Sure, right, yeah, because ev- everything elicits an emotion. Before we get any further, I just want to do a, a quick Velvet Mondegreen here. Oh, please. Is it a bear? Is he shaking his hair? Is it Velvet Mondegreen? The tail end of that, that first first two lines i for one would rather follow softer options uh-huh the way he says it it sounds like i would rather follow soft eruptions soft eruptions which makes it sound particularly naughty soft eruptions i think i've i think i've sort of heard that as well yeah he he really runs those together and in a song where you're like i kind of am half listening and and 75% don't know what he's talking about. You just, you like, you never really investigate any further. You're like, okay, soft eruptions already and carry on, you know? Yeah. And and again, with that, with this first verse, we get a little bit of the thesis of the song. And if I ignore the face you wore, it's just a way of mine to keep from flying colors. And if I ignore the face you wore, it's just a way of mine. To keep from flying colors. Right, yeah. If if I ignore your emotions, I can prevent myself from showing emotions. Yeah, and I think there is a generational thing happening here. You know, the, the older generations were encouraged to keep a stiff upper lip. Oh, sure. Not give over to passion you know, emoting stoicism. Yes. Yes. Showing your emotions was considered feminine, perhaps rather than masculine. You know, masculinity is all about. Right. Yeah. Having this hard exterior that where you can't read the person. But I think that under that exterior, which he clearly in the song is saying that he values. Right. There is all this passion. There is, there are all, there are all of these colors. I like this overall thesis and I'm really, I see where bits and pieces of the lyrics fit into this, but not everything fits cleanly and comfortably for me. Okay. Even just the start of the next verse, don't lay your bait while the whole world waits around to see me shoot you down. It's also second rate. Is, I mean, is that the same thing as ignoring the face you wore so I can ignore you? So I don't have to show my colors, you know? like I don't know if this is accurate, but the picture that I get from this is, you know, I was unlucky enough to be in a, a very antagonistic relationship for a long time. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of that relationship was based around, you know, how can you get at the other person? How can you get their goat as as they say make them make them yeah 
break their their exterior you know how can you sure how can you bait them right i think that's what this is about for me and i i see a lot of this song as referring to a a romantic relationship yeah i was i was just thinking that that's a i like you putting it into that context it does feel like there is some some degree of a relationship there you know the this the next lines it's also second rate when we can last for days on a loving night or for hours at least on a warm whisper given. Uh-huh. When we can last for days on a loving night or for hours at least on a warm whisper given. So he's saying, why be so flamboyant and dramatic? Right. I'm sustained on a sweet, you whispering sweet nothings to me. Why be so ostentatious and presentational? Both in the positive and the negative. You don't have to bait right. me into displaying anger, but you also don't have to trick me into expressing affection, perhaps. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It, you know what it reminds me of? Flying colors, in a way, relates to me to the phrase, airing one's dirty laundry. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. You know, like, hey, don't don't air out our dirty laundry in public. Yeah. Let's not display for everyone what's really going on in this relationship, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah. Someone who likes to be more reserved as opposed to, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, like a drama queen, you know, someone who who will make a scene for the attention. I'm right here, and I don't appreciate you talking about, about me that way. <laughs> No, we're talking we're talking you through this omen. Okay. <laughs> I think this is actually really great. I'm glad we hit this point. I really like this because it's it's also like super poignant in the sense of Ian being I mean, he's got a personality on the stage. He's got this very certain we know Ian Anderson, the performer on stage. Mm-hmm. But he's also like when he's not on stage, he's very pulled back and he's reserved. And even when he is on stage, he's fairly pulled back and reserved. I mean, think about Steven Tyler or Mick Jagger or I can't stop thinking about them. I can't. That's all I think about all the time. It's this interesting It's kind of this interesting theory of you can still be a successful rock star and you can still have a fulfilling career while being a bit of a teetotaler and and kind of a curmudgeon and fairly reserved and live on a, a yeah. farm on a, an island in in a lock somewhere you know so I think that there is a big Venn diagram overlap in this song between Ian's experience of being a reserved gentleman in a society which perhaps is designed to pry the display of emotions out of this out of us and kind of a fictionalized story of a couple who maybe is having fights in public. Sure. You know, and, and somebody saying, hey, let's please not do this. You know, there's the line, you always pick the best time to rise to the fight or to break the hard bargain that we're driven. You always pick the best time to rise to the fight to break the hard bargain that we've driven. You know, it's almost like you, you know, imagine you're, you're, you and your partner have a disagreement and you're like, you know what? Let's respect each other's feelings about this, but let's not have a fight in public. You know, let's, you know, let's resolve this at home. And then you're out at the restaurant and your partner's like, hey, by the way, did you do this one thing? You're like, my God, I we yeah. decided not to bring this up. Why would you say that to me? Now I'm, now I'm pissed. 
Which is is perfect for that next verse. I thought we had it out the night before and settled old scores, but not the hard way. Was it a glass too much? I think refers to... Did you drink too much and that's why you pulled it back? Or did I drink too much and I said something mean? Or a smile too few? Was I not showing enough affection? And and then in a fancy restaurant, we were all aglow, keeping cool by mutual permission. How did the conversation get to where we came to blows? In a fancy restaurant, we were all aglow. Keeping cool by mutual Again, just you're staring at each other over the bread basket and and you say the wrong thing or you don't say the right thing and right and and it blows up, yeah, and it can so easily. I mean, I think that I think that everyone has whether it's with your partner, whether it's with your parents or your brother or even a friend, you know it's really I think all of us have that experience of like knowing that if you allow yourself to go to that place mentally, it's gonna devolve into negativity and and right. sniping each other and being cutting. I was my beautiful lovely wife and I were went out to dinner impromptu the other night and had a lovely time, didn't have any fights or anything, but we had both had really long hard days and we it was the end of the week and we were both exhausted and I found myself mentally kind of constructing little cutting remarks here and there that were edging between playful and a little hard and not really necessary. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't even saying them, but at a certain point I was like, I said out loud, I was like, Hey, you know, I think I'm realizing that I'm in kind of a bad mood right now. And she was like, yeah, I am too. We both had really long weeks where, you know, I was like, great. Let's just admit the fact that both of us are, you know, not a hundred percent right now. And from there, enjoy ourselves. And we had a lovely time, but that was lurking underneath the surface almost. Yeah, some sometimes, certainly not in the case of this song, obviously, but certain sometimes bringing it to light and and having kind of a shared acknowledgement of of a situation or an emotion or something along those lines really is all it takes. This yes. this instance in this song clearly is not the case. I mean, right at the very end, shout, but you see, it still won't do. With my colors on, I can be just as bad as you. Shout. If you rile me to that point, we're going head to head, you know, we're sharing fisticuffs here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And this song speaks to me of a situation where the two individuals are so practiced at this kind of bad behavior, you might call it. Yes. At one-upping each other with who can who can fly the loudest colors that they can't get out of it, even if they want to. I love the line, we act our parts so well, like we wrote the play. We act our parts so well, like we wrote the play. While so predictable, we know it. Ugh. Yeah. Because of course they did. Also predictable and we know it, which means you know how to push my buttons. 
Mm-hmm. I know how to push yours. I expect you to push my buttons, mm-hmm. so I'm ready to fly off the handle at any moment. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh my god, it really reminds me a lot of my old relationship. I was just gonna say, and and just like your old relationship, there comes a point where that has completely taken the place of affection. That is how yeah. these two parties communicate and interact at all times. And I think that there's a the the metaphor of flying colors is almost brings in the performative aspect of it. It's like the emotions are so worn out that you just even are going through the motions of sure. Oh, I'm going to perform anger now because that's what I have to do. Oh, sure. Yeah. By rote. Yeah. I think what really kind of uh, makes my heart clench about this song is the reference to did our friends all catch the needle match? Did we want them to? Did our friends all catch the needle match? Did we want them to? Is what is that? What is a needle match? What is that? Just like needling at one another? Yes. At first, I thought maybe it was a reference to a record player, but I think that it is, you know, when you are sticking each other with the needles of of words. Yeah. To to needle to needle each other is an old way of saying to press someone's buttons. Right, to nag, to get at one another, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get under the skin. Tattoo someone with your, your own hatred. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Ooh. I, you know, I'm, I'm developing a real appreciation for this song. Wow, the, la- the very last line. Oh, my goodness. We'll se- so we're, we'll settle old scores now and settle the hard way. You may not even live to outgrow it. We'll settle old scores now and settle the hard Is that like a to the moon, Alice? Is that what that is? Yeah, I think I think it is. I think it's it's both the the kind of caged threat of violence, but also I think it's the the hopelessness of realizing we're so stuck in this pattern, it's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to get worse and worse. The flags are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We could die like this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We're in the, we're in the grave saying. Well, if you would move over a little bit, maybe I'd have room to decompose. Of course, your coffin's bigger and better than mine is. As a war meeting you, wouldn't be the first time you let a stranger kiss you in front of me. <laughs> is that worm from the bottom of a tequila bottle? <laughs> Nick, anything else to say about the song Flying Colors? No, no, we got way more than I expected. I, I'm actually, I'm really happy about what we kind of deciphered from this song. It's a good one. It's a pop one. It's it's good and dark thematically, like we've seen mostly up until this point on this album. Um, so it's it sticks with the the whole general feeling of it, and it's a good one. Just a little a little fun tidbit. There is a theory of emotions developed by a researcher named Ekman in the late nineties, and they posit that all emotions fall into five main categories, which are enjoyment, sadness fear, anger, and disgust. That study was the the basis for the movie Inside Uh, Out by Pixar, which is why that movie is actually used to teach children about emotions. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Omen. Nick. Next week... The final track off of Side A, 
it is uh it's a bit of a downer not that these other other songs haven't been downers but what are we going into next week track five off of side a one man's downer is another man's upper we are going to be listening to slow marching band that we are are you giving us a little preview here you like slow marching band I don't want to fly my colors, but you may be onto something. Until next week, I would love for you to lay your bait for the whole world to see. A bait in the form of five stars and a review. Yeah. Please, at your podcatcher of choice. I mean, preferably Apple because they, they own the market. But, you know, anywhere works. I'm happy with anywhere, really. If you want to set yourself up in a red condition, why not get some official Talk Tell To Me merch where you can choose not only the image, but also the color, including red. Until next week, I am a warm whisper, Omen Said. I am also second-rate, Nick McGill. We are also predictable and we know it, the feckless moms. <laughs> and this is a glass too much Talk Tell To Me. Uh, bonne soirée, monsieur et madame. Welcome to Philippe's Gastropub. Uh, oh, it's so romantic to see you dressed up. Uh, here is your table. I will bring you a glass of water, a glass of wine, some bread. Please sit down, sit down. Oh, honey, it's wonderful that you got reservations here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really wanted to I really wanted to do something special for this weekend, I, I think. So sweet. I think, I think you deserve it. Yeah, that's so sweet. It's just so I know I'm so happy that you're that you made this this time for us to just, you know, connect romantically for once. I feel like my job has kind of, you know, I think our relationship has suffered because of the job. I can acknowledge that. And I, I want you to know how how special you are to me. Oh, honey, I know. And listen, I I know how much you how much that job is important for you and how hard you're working, even though they don't pay you very much. I mean, it's probably going to cost what a, a week's worth of pay for just to be here tonight, right? <laughs> I, I, they say, I, I've told you this before. They say I'll be partner in a year. I just, everybody I starts low on the totem pole. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. do you, do you want me to take you out to just like some fast food place? Would you prefer that? No, listen, I'm so glad that we're out here. I, you know, I don't. I don't need to eat fast food every day. I certainly don't want to gain the weight, you know. It's hard. I know how hard it is to to keep the weight off. Do you? Do you? I mean, I mean, I think I think some people work harder than others at, at trying to keep the weight off, but well, you know, if we weren't out tonight to eat, maybe you could uh, get yourself a new suit, one that actually fits. What about that? I Okay, I I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling attacked and I'm feeling aggressive and I, I don't think this is how we should be starting this evening. Uh, bonsoir, madame, monsieur. Uh, here is uh, your wine and uh, can I interest you in the specials for this evening? Uh, um, yeah. No, you know what? We'll we'll just stick with the menu. Thank you. Actually, I want to hear the specials. Um, I, you know, I'm a special person and sometimes I want some special treatment. F yes, please. 
Uh, of course, of course, madame, of course. So we have the uh, we have the, the pasta arrabbiata. That's, of course, I mean, the pasta that is angry with the spice. We also have, for the fish, we have a, a, a red snapper. I've heard that red snapper is really bitter, right? Is it bitter? It's not the only thing. We also have a an English creme, an English creme for this dessert. We can talk about that uh, more later. And we have the we have a special French uh, tickler. <laughs> yeah, I I th- I think we need a, a another minute to decide. Thank you. Yes, um, it always takes us a really long time to get anything done. <laughs> you know, I will leave you for a moment, Karen. You know, Karen. you know. I just wanted to say. I just wanted to say. I what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said before we came out here. You know, it's just that, it's just that every time your mother calls, uh, I, I just feel, I just feel like it's, it's a competition. You know, you know what I mean. And I, I don't want to have to compete for your attention. I don't, I don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel like I'm your mother. You know what I mean? I'm definitely not your mother. <laughs> I, I, I don't want you to be my mother. I talk to my mother once a day, tops. That's all I ask for. All right. I, I just ask for that time to speak with my mother once a day. I just feel you like can you go know, do whatever you I need. didn't marry your mother. You know, that's not what I agreed to. Although sometimes I feel like maybe I am married to your mother because you are an awful lot like her. Well, maybe if we were all more saintly like my mother, this world would be a better place, Karen. Listen, I, and here is your wine. Here's a petite glass of wine, a little refill for you. Oh, you're drinking the wine so fast because it is so delicious, no? And I will bring to you a free bread. Uh, one more free bread because I see that you have crumbled it all across the table in a rage of hunger. Thank you. Listen. Now, listen, Karen. No, you listen to me. You listen to me. I don't want to have Karen. this conversation in public, but I will... I will make everyone in the restaurant listen to this because no one deserves to have the life that we have. I can't do it anymore. Karen, we are in public, but so help me God, I will say what you've been dreading. I Don't say, say it. For the last Don't say five it. Years, I Karen. told you never Don't to say that to me, me again. Don't you dare. Karen. Don't you open your Karen, mouth. Listen to me, Karen. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. There, I said it. I said it. And I'm not sorry, Karen. Dare you. How dare you after I've borne your children, after I've washed your tiny little underwear. I need to go talk to my mother. Excuse me. And thank you for coming to Philip's Raj Room, where all of your emotions are heightened. (laughs) 